Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to have Dr. Paul Reeve from the University of Utah on the show. I'm excited because we're going to be talking about a lot of early black Mormons and his latest book, which is called Let's Talk About Race and Priesthood. I'm actually going to be giving away a copy of the book, so make sure if you'd like a copy of this to sign up at gospeltangents.com contest, and you could be a winner of this book here. Uh, about race and priesthood. So you don't want to miss the contest and you don't want to miss this interview for sure. Check out our conversation. Welcome to Gospel Tangents. I'm excited to have one of my favorite historians. It's been a long time since he's been on the show. Some of you new listeners may not have even known that Paul was my second interview ever. Paul, could you go ahead and tell us who you are and where we are? Um, Paul Reeve, and I'm Simmons Chair of Mormon Studies in the History Department at the University of Utah. Perfect. So every time, I remember the last time I talked to you, you had just received a promotion, and this is not the same office that we were in last time. <laughs> That's <laughs> so right. So you've received, I think you've received a couple promotions since then. Last time you were a full professor, what have, what, what's happened in the last seven years? Uh, so I am now chair of the history department at the University of Utah. It's a three-year appointment. Um, I'm in the first of three years um, as chair at the department. And that's your favorite job? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd probably rather be in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because Margaret Toscano, she's been on a couple times, and she was department chair, and she was like, I can't wait until I'm done with this. Yes. <laughs> what, what, what's the big deal about a department chair? Why is it such a terrible job? <laughs> well, hopefully no one from my department listens to this. <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot of bureaucratic work that um, just isn't my favorite thing. Okay. I can see that. So you're just much more of a researcher. Yeah, I'd rather be in the classroom and researching and writing. Mm-hmm. Well, very good. Okay. Well, you've got a new book now. Uh, why don't you go ahead and show it to the audience? <clears throat> It's a big book, you can see. (laughs) 
very what's, small. What's it called? Um, Let's Talk About Race and Priesthood. Okay. It's a part of Deseret Book's Let's Talk About series. Uh-huh. Um, and Darius Gray wrote the foreword mm-hmm. and really honored to have his um, – <clears throat> his story at the beginning of the book. Um, and he's a remarkable, uh, Latter-day Saint and really honored that he was willing to participate and write the foreword. Yeah. Yeah. Darius is a great guy. I'm going to, I actually talked to him when I saw you last week at written vision. Um, so he's going to be on the show, but for those people who don't know who he is, um, could you just give a, a short blurb about Darius? Yeah. Darius, uh, joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, before the 1978 revelation and has been just an important black Latter-day Saint ever since. Uh, he was a part of the uh, original Genesis group leadership and became president of Genesis, um, which is a support group for black Latter-day Saints officially organized by the church. So he was um, counselor from 1971 to 1997. So um, think about the tenure that he spent Holy there. Cow. And then he became president of Genesis from 1997 to 2003. So, you know, they used to have 20 year callings. We didn't think those still went were around, but apparently they are. In Dryas's case, uh, they were, yes. Wow. And he really became the face of Genesis and uh, really. Um, <clears throat> made it what it is today. So I think um, he's just, he's lived through uh, being a black Latter-day Saint and all of the changes that the 78 revelation brought about and um, is really remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy. So I'm happy to, I, I'm looking forward to talking to him. So that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. So um, the other thing I want to mention behind you, I'm going to scroll up a little bit. Tell us who is on the painting behind you here. So this is uh, Isaac Manning, Isaac Lewis Manning, uh, Jane Manning, James' brother, uh, who converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Connecticut um, within a few months of Jane's conversion. Uh part of her family that embraced the gospel, and he uh, went to Nauvoo with Jane and the rest of the family, became a cook for Joseph Smith in the Nauvoo Mansion House, and then um, at the murder of Joseph and Hiram, uh, Isaac dug four graves. He dug two graves that were decoy graves where caskets filled with sand were buried because they were afraid that uh, the mobs that killed Joseph and Hiram would come back and desecrate the bodies. And then he dug the actual graves where the bodies were buried at the Joseph Smith homestead. And so um, Marlena Wilding is the artist who, who did this portrait of Isaac. So she included the shovel as the symbol of um Isaac's service, and it's such an important uh, act of service to him that in 1903, after he had uh, arrived in Salt Lake, he swore out an affidavit that gave the details of his service in digging those graves. And so that affidavit is what is he's holding in his other hand. So the two symbols oh, wow. of, 
the two symbols of his service. Uh, he, he considered it a, his badge of honor that, that he provided this service for the slain bodies of Joseph and Hiram. Everybody knows about Jane, but I don't think anybody knows that story about Isaac, her, her brother. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's he's got his own remarkable story. Um, I wrote an article on him in the Journal of Mormon History. Um, so you can read more about that. And then there's a shorter version at the Century of Black Mormons database. Okay. And I was glad you mentioned Century of Black Mormons. That was my next question. Tell us a little bit about that. So I am... Uh, um, manager and general editor for uh, an online database. It's a website. It's just centryofblackmormons.org. We are just attempting to identify all known people of black African descent baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in its first 100 years between 1830 and 1930. Uh, We have... 130 biographies completed and available publicly available in the database uh, and 200 more under research so by the time we're done we'll be somewhere between two between three and four hundred in the database um, we write biographies we also load all primary source documents that we find and have permission to make publicly available so that um, the general public can see the documents but also read the biographies of these Black Latter-day Saints. Now, that brings up another question, um, two questions. First of all, since we're, since Isaac's behind you, let's talk about him first. Was he ordained to the priesthood that, that you've been able to identify? No, Isaac was not ordained to the priesthood. Uh, he um, stays in the Midwest when Jane migrates to Utah with her husband, Isaac James, Um, Isaac Manning stays in the Midwest. Eventually, in 1876, he's moved to Canada and joins the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, They uh, allowed black priesthood ordination, but like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they didn't practice universal priesthood ordination in the 19th century, Um, meaning that uh, in the 19th century, both churches— basically ordained enough men to or, to run a given branch or ward, but didn't practice universal ordination. Uh, that's true for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That doesn't really change until they uh, start to systematically ordain young men at age 12 uh, around 1908. Uh, and then you have the almost universal male ordination that becomes systematic in the 20th century, but wasn't the case in the 19th century. So Hmm. the fact that um, there were black priesthood holders in the 19th century when not all white men were ordained makes it that much more remarkable. Uh, But Isaac was not ordained in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Reorganized Church did ordain black men to the priesthood in the 19th century, but only to support a, a, a branch structure. And they eventually develop segregated congregations in the South, presided over by black priesthood holders, but segregated from their white congregations. Oh, so they kind of had a black church and a white church, essentially. They did. Oh, they that's did. interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, another question that I want, this is kind of a personal question. I've been trying to research a guy named Isaac Van Meter. Is he in your database? Does that name ring a bell? <sighs> Um, so 
That name sounds familiar, but I don't. We don't have a biography on him. Okay, but here's uh, here's here's why he is important to me. Um, I know in the uh, oh, what was that? There was a, a DVD done by Margaret Young and Darius Gray. Nobody mm-hmm. knows. Yes, and in the extras on that video, Connell O'Donovan had mentioned Isaac Van Meter. I think he said was a missionary companion to Wilford Woodruff, I think, somebody like that, hmm. Snow maybe. Um, and he thought that Isaac Van Meter was an early black Mormon. I haven't been able to second that, <laughs> get a second opinion on that. So does that ring any bells? No, it doesn't. Uh, but we uh, uh, we should c- certainly add him to our research list. So we have a list uh, of people who uh, are are potentially uh, people to be included in the database, and then we do the research. And um, if the evidence bears it out, then we write the biography and they're included. But I don't think he's, he's even on our research list. So, oh, really? Yeah. So, um, so I gave you a tip. You gave us a tip. Yeah. <laughs> send us the information and we'll put him on the research list at least. Because um, um, he's one of six. Uh, we, were, we were just having lunch. Maybe I will take you up on that. I, I want to write a book on this because it's one of my favorite topics. Um, uh, including Isaac Van Meter, I've been able to identify six-ish, but I'm not nearly as good of a researcher as you, Paul. <laughs> and uh, probably well, probably better. I mean, uh, it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the six that I've identified, and I would like you to to address them really quick. Elijah Abel, of course, everybody knows about him. Yeah. Um, Joseph Ball, you've actually found some information on him that I think's well. I'd like because. In our first interview, I had said, well, Joseph Ball was the first black high priest in Boston. You kind of pushed back a little bit on that. And I know you've done some research since that interview. Can you share a little bit about Joseph Ball? Sure. Um, So we didn't find any evidence that um, those who associated with Joseph Ball um, knew him to be black. In other words, um, there is evidence that he came, uh, he was of black African descent, but that he and his sisters passed as white. Um, and Jeffrey Mayhaus did the research and the biography for the Century of Black Mormons database and I think did a really good job, but um, no contemporary sources that anyone uh, in the Latter-day Saint community understood him to be black, that he had passed as white. So, you know, people like Wilford Woodruff, who were associating with him, um, doesn't ever mention him to be uh, a person he understood to be black, but in other situations, Woodruff does. Um, does mention, for example, Q. Walker Lewis as a black elder, and he creates a membership record uh, when he goes through Tennessee in 1835, and he actually, in some of the branches, he he draws a line and then says colored saints and includes the names of five um, black Latter-day Saints uh, in 1835 in Tennessee. So it just feels improbable that he would be a companion with Joseph Ball and never mention in any sort of way that he understood him to be uh, uh, black. Because he did mention Walker Lewis, as you said. He does. He does. And he does single out these other black Latter-day Saints who are in the branches in Tennessee and identifies them specifically as colored. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
Uh, and then the public records for um, Joseph Ball, none of them um, uh, identify him as black after he um, passes as white in, into adulthood. So, and so it's likely that he was ordained assuming he was white. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So that's another thing we do in the database, right? We, we trace people who, because the church implemented what came to be called a one-drop policy, meaning trying to exclude anyone with um, what was considered in the 19th century, one drop of African blood is how they described it, right? Mm -hmm. We now have DNA. We don't understand things the same way. But that's how they described it, meaning you could have 99 white ancestors and one black ancestor, and you would still be qualified as black. Some states adopted one-drop rules um, during the segregation period to legally define a person who is black. Well, the, the LDS Church does so in trying to define um, and ferret out temple admission and priesthood ordination. So because they had that policy for inclusion in the database, we include anyone uh, that we can verify of any African ancestry. Um, and so Joseph Ball is- Even in, if they passed as white in this even case. Even if they pass as white. If we can verify African ancestry and in Joseph Ball's case, that's um, easily done because his, his um, father- is of African ancestry. It's from Jamaica, I believe. Yeah. Um, may have been of mixed racial ancestry, right? So that it makes it easier to understand how by Joseph's um, uh, generation, he and his sisters were able to pass as white um, because probably the product of a couple of generations of interracial um, marriages, but nonetheless, um, African ancestry and therefore qualifies for the database, but we don't have evidence that those who ordained him to the priesthood were aware that they were ordaining a black man uh, to the priesthood, in other words. Yeah. So um, it just illustrates, like several other cases in the, in the database, the impossibility of policing racial boundaries. Okay. And I think that's important. I, I'm really glad you did that research because I, I – Connell, I think, is a great historian, um, and he was the one I, I had learned that from. And so it's – I was always under the impression that he was an open black man and was openly ordained, but it sounds like that really wasn't the case. Yeah, we've had no evidence of that. But yeah. Walker Lewis was a barber, and yes. and I think it was Wilford Woodruff yes. mentioned him. He was openly ordained. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, incontrovertible evidence and, um, you know, a letter that um, – that Wilford Woodruff writes, um, calls him a, a, a colored elder, right? Um, and does so as if there's nothing unusual about this. Uh, and then other people who visit that branch, um, he's hosting missionaries in his home, having um, uh, uh, potential investigators into his home for missionaries to have meetings with. Uh, he's paying a really generous tithe. So, we found his tithing records. Um, he, at one point, pays a trombone in a trombone box as tithing. Wow. Uh, he was a musician and um, had a variety of musical instruments. And at one point, I guess, um, the trombone became tithing as well, but um, must have done well in his barber shop in Lowell, Massachusetts, because he was paying a, a generous tithe. Um, in the 19th century and uh, ordained most likely by William Smith, who was an apostle at the time, Joseph Smith's younger brother. And 
other apostles who visit the low Massachusetts branch just um, acknowledge him as a black elder. Do we know approximately when he was ordained? Yeah, it's 1843 or 44. There's okay, no... so right before Joseph's death. Yeah, before Joseph's death, but there's no um, surviving document to know for sure. And so it, it really depends on which visit to the Lowell branch um, that you count um, William Smith, right? If he, He's there in 43, so he could have been ordained then. He's there in 44, he could have been ordained then. Um, it's... Later that, William Appleby goes and says um, he is ordained by William Smith, um, and it's um, because there's no surviving documentation, it's likely 43 or 44. Well, and it's interesting because I, I believe it was 45 when Joseph Ball was made the branch president. Does that sound right? That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered... <laughs> There was a lot going on in that branch. That's kind of a soap opera itself. Yes, but, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so we've identified, if we count Isaac Van Meter, uh, Elijah Abel, Walker Lewis. His son Enoch Lewis was also ordained, right? Uh, his son Moroni. Moroni? I thought it was Enoch. No, so, oh, oh, sorry. So Walker Lewis, Q. Walker Lewis. Right. Yeah, sorry. Um, um, we haven't found evidence of his ordination, so there's supposition that maybe he was, but no oh. concrete evidence uh, for Enoch. Um, and none of the letters describe – he was definitely baptized um, and married to Mary Matilda Webster, who's a white member of the Low Massachusetts branch, but haven't found concrete evidence for his ordination. Oh, okay. I think and, Connell had – believe that it, there was some pretty good evidence for that, but maybe not. Connell suggests yeah. um, that it's a possibility and, and, you know, that may be true. We haven't found um, concrete evidence to substantiate that. Jordan Watkins at BYU is is the one that's been doing the research, uh, did the bio at Century Black Mormons for Key Walker Lewis and is also working on his son Enoch. Enoch's bio isn't loaded to the database yet, but um, Jordan has been working on it. Okay, okay. Now, who's this Moroni? That was somebody I hadn't heard about. Sorry. So I thought you were referring to um, uh, Elijah Abel's son, Moroni, and oh. he is ordained to the priesthood in 1871 in Ogden. Okay. Way after the supposed ban, right? Yes. Um, and it's a deathbed ordination, but nonetheless, there's no indication that his race is um, seen as a barrier. So he falls ill, mm. um, and I think it's his sister Annie Abel, who writes this, and it's published in uh, the Ogden newspaper, that um, he falls ill, he's um, sick for several weeks, and he calls for the elders to give him a blessing. And at the same time that they bless him for health, they ordain him an elder in the priesthood. Oh, wow. And that was not atypical in the 19th century to give deathbed ordinations for you know young kids. Um, the notion was you want them to have uh, the priesthood as they pass into the next life. Um, they, the church stops that practice by the end of the 19th century, but um, it was pretty common in the 19th century. Um, the notion, it's sort of a last rite of sorts that you want this person, a male person, to have the priesthood as they go into the next life. And so deathbed ordination was a thing, and Moroni Abel, Elijah Abel's son, 
receives a deathbed ordination and it's published in the newspaper and no one seems to have an issue with it. Um, in 1871. 1871, yeah, yeah. When then Elijah's grandson, who was also Elijah, right? Correct. Was ordained. In 1935 in Logan. Okay. Yeah, and he had passed. Not a deathbed. Not a deathbed, no. And he lives the rest of his life as a practicing Latter-day Saint, as a priesthood holder. Um, he's passed as white by that point. Okay. So um, his father, Enoch Abel, has passed away. And the early census record, the 1900 census record, defines Elijah. Um, so it would be Elijah the Third, really. Um defines him as black in 1900, along with uh, all the children in Enoch's family. Enoch dies in 1901, and he had married a white woman. And so time and distance really account for a person's ability to pass as white. So uh, the black person in the family, the father, is now dead. Uh, the white mother is still alive. Um, the kids... Uh, grow to adulthood. The 1910 census, I believe, he's described as mulatto, and then 1920 white, and every subsequent census after that um, described as white. And, you know, the living memory of the black father is gone. Um, you know, interracial um, marriages means that they their skin was likely lighter than some African Americans and um, moves away. Did he live in Utah at this time? Um, in 1935, when he's ordained, he's in Logan. Yeah. Okay. He's baptized in Idaho and then moves back to Logan where he had grown up, and that's where he's ordained in 1935, and then moves to Mon Montana, um, and that's where he passes away. I think it's, it's in the 1960s, and his uh, funeral is held at um, the LDS Chapel in um, – trying to remember the town now. Um, anyway, his his grave is there in Montana, um, and <laughs> his whole funeral service is conducted by the bishop. I don't think anyone knows that they are burying the grandson of the face of first black priesthood holder. <laughs> well, even Elijah was pretty light-skinned, is that right? Right, right. But didn't everybody know he was black? Correct. He never passed as white. Uh, so... Um, his death record in Salt Lake, his burial record in Salt Lake, uh, includes the word colored in the column where normally you're supposed to record the person's next of kin. They write the word colored. Okay. Um, and so, in other words, um, and every census record describes him as either mulatto or quadroon. Uh, quadroon, yeah. Um, so, always defining him as um, racially. Um, not white, um, in some percentage of, of black African ancestry. Uh, so he never passes. And he's understood in church records as well as public um, records to be colored or black, you know, or of black African ancestry for his mm -hmm. entire life. But his children, so um, his wife, Marianne, Elijah Abel's wife, Marianne, is also of mixed racial ancestry. Um, and some of his children pass as white, some don't, but grandchildren in particular pass passes white. Was Elijah Abel the third? Mm -hmm. Was he able to get a temple marriage or a sealing? 
Um, I don't know that he ever applied. Um, he's married twice, and neither of those are um, temple marriages. Okay. Yeah. So but we don't know if he tried. I don't know that he tried. Um, I have no evidence of that. Um, I um, we we couldn't find membership record for his second wife. I don't think she was LDS. Okay. But um, she's living with him in Montana, and um, he's practicing Latter Day Saint, as far as we can tell, because, like I said, his funeral, everything. It's published in um, the Montana newspaper. It's held in the LDS chapel. Um, his fellow ward members are participating, singing songs, all of those kind of things. So just um, a normal Latter-day Saint funeral. Wow. Yeah. This is why we like to talk to Paul Reeve. He's an encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay. Isaac Van Meter, Elijah Abel, Walker Lewis, Enoch Lewis, um, Warner McCary. Can you talk about him? Yeah. Um, we, uh, I... I don't believe he was ordained to the priesthood. Really? Yeah. You're yeah. killing me, Paul. No, <laughs> I don't think there's any evidence. In fact, I think um, there's pretty strong evidence that he wasn't simply oh, because really? of the interview that takes place with um, him and Brigham Young in March of 1847 at Winter Quarters. Basically, Q, our, our William McCary says, look, I don't have any position of, of authority here. Um, and he's basically saying it's because uh, I've, I'm of a different color. And that's when Brigham Young responds to him by saying, look, we don't even discriminate in distributing priesthood authority. We have one of the best elders, an African in Lowell, a barber, referring to Q. Walker Lewis, who we already talked about. So in other words, if um, if... Uh, William McCary had the priesthood. There's no reason to point to Key Walker Lewis. They would have said, "Well, yeah, you have the priesthood. There's see, we don't discriminate. You, you're uh, uh, ordained to the priesthood." Instead, he cites Key Walker Lewis as his example that uh, the church doesn't discriminate in distributing priesthood authority. So um, I think it's a pretty strong indication that he wasn't ordained. Huh. The only evidence is um, a belated remembrance back um, in, I think it's the Voorhe Herald, um, so separated by time and distance from the actual events, and it's a belated remembrance that suggested that Orson Hyde ordained him, and we found no evidence that that's the case. And in fact, I think the interview with him and, and Brigham Young um, strongly suggests otherwise. That's what I had heard was that Orson Hyde had ordained him, but you yeah. think that's not true? That's not true. It's, like I said, the, the evidence for that is um, a Voorhe herald, so reorganized or um, uh, Strangite publication and separated by several years from the um, events and not even sure who the author of, of that suggestion is. So um, people had, I think, given that report too much credibility, and we've found no evidence of ordination. Oh, Paul, you're killing me. I, yeah. I was like, oh, there were six men ordained, and now you just shut down. <laughs> kind of Joseph Ball and, and Warner McCary. I'm trying to remember who the th sixth one was. Um, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Paul Reeve, the author of Let's Talk About Race and Priesthood. We're not done talking about some of these early black Mormons. In fact, this one was one I hadn't heard about and was surprised to find out that the son of a slave 
received the priesthood in 1971. Russell Dewey Ritchie oh. <laughs> um, is in the database, and he um, is ordained in 1971. He's in his 70s, um, and his father was formerly enslaved. So he's the now, wait, son of a slave. Did you say 1971 or 1871? Correct, 1971, 1971. Okay. Thanks for listening to Gospel Tangents. If you'd like to support me, please subscribe at gospeltangents.com or on patreon.com slash gospeltangents, or you can watch entire videos at youtube.com slash gospeltangents. I really can't do this without your support. I'd love to do it full time, and I need a lot more people that are willing to, to help me out. So I'd really appreciate that. So thanks again for listening. And don't forget to check out some of our other videos. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.